What's going on, everybody? It is your boy Crypto Bobby. Hope you are having a great day, great night, wherever you're watching or listening in from. And we're back over 8K. People are preparing the Vegeta memes or whatever the hell they are because I'm not a nerd. But what's up, Colton? How's it going, man? What's going on, Rob? What a day. I'm emotionally exhausted. Yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been a nice day for sure. I mean, this is one of the first uh, kind of good feeling double digit moves we've had in a while. Um, and Bitcoin and just the, the greater cryptocurrency market as a whole seems to have bounced back pretty nicely from the absolute devastation of Black Thursday and kind of the whole coronavirus S&P follow trick that we pulled for a while. So feels good to be not not poor anymore, I guess we, we can say. Right. Um, it kind of reminds me of 2017. How about you? Okay. Yeah, I mean, we have Coinbase was, was down, Coinbase crashed, Coinbase Pro crashed, Kraken crashed. Um, Sounds so about right. That, <laughs> that is not <laughs> something that we've seen in a long time. Also, I think a lot of people are complaining as well, which maybe rightfully so. Pretty crazy that you know, it is now 2020 and we have a lot of, of these popular exchanges that are unable to, to handle the kind of the traffic and the volume that they see on, on this type of, of day. But overall, pretty crazy day. I think Binance had its highest volume ever. I think it was this completely off the top of my head, but I think it was $11 billion or something like that. Highest, wow. uh, highest volume they've ever seen, which is, is nuts. So starting to see some, some interesting things going into the big day, the having that's coming up in what, like two weeks or so now. Yeah. Yeah. Just a couple, couple weeks, what, 12 days, 11 days, something like that. Um, right around the corner. Uh, I mean, and it's, um, I can't believe that just a little over a month ago, we were at 3,800 uh, and um, it just seems, it seems like yesterday, but <laughs> I can't believe that we've kind of retraced uh, completely now. Yeah. Uh, and there was a, there was a CME gap right up there at, at about 8,900 that was filled. Uh, all you CME gappers out there that love those, <laughs> uh, that was filled. There's another one up at 11,000. So, you know, fingers crossed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, and, and, and notable too, I think that there has been a lot of discussion around Bitcoin following the traditional markets, the S&P and, um, you know, a number of the other traditional indexes out there. And now the, now Bitcoin is actually, I think the block Larry Cermak published uh, a post recently that Bitcoin is now outperforming the S&P kind of since the initial crash, which is crazy when you think about it because Bitcoin dropped 60%, which is an absurd number. And we haven't fully recovered from that, but we're getting pretty close. So, uh, you know, I think it's, it's we're people are starting to feel good, which is always a dangerous place to be, but ultimately it's, 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 it's a nice spot. And, and I'll yeah. pose the question to you, Colton, like, what, what do you feel like is fueling the rally? Is there anything in particular that you're looking at right now? Um, yeah, I think just a, a couple things. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is just the, maybe the amount of short pressure um, shorts just getting roasted and squeezed throughout this entire um, run back up. And I, I'll put this back to you. I wonder if just the endless printing of the, of money from the fed and just the overall economy and people are uncertain, like, you know, is that something that is Bitcoin finally turning the corner? I think that obviously like Bitcoin's narrative in general, we would be in a nice place, right? 
you think about what's happening in just like the global economy right now, basically the Fed and all these, the Fed and all these these uh, just kind of central banks are are printing their way out of it, and that is basically the antithesis to to what Bitcoin is all about. You know, you're about mm-hmm. sound monetary principles, uh, quote unquote hard money, uh, a a predictable monetary supply. That is the exact opposite of what's happening right now. We have no idea what's happening with the Fed. You can see screenshots there circulating about the Fed making decisions decisions for the the, the United States based on on Zoom. Um, and there's there's a lot of things that are happening right there with the Fed and just globally speaking as well, not just in the U.S. That I think do kind of help Bitcoin's narrative. On the flip side, though. When you think about all the other kind of negative externalities that are happening, you question how much really does does that matter in the long run, and how much is Bitcoin more just a risk on asset that is that has some some pretty strong correlation to the S and P and the Dow Jones and all these other indexes right now for the time being. But when I look at it too, you got to think maybe a little bit about just like the 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 narrative around Bitcoin and whether that is just hodling digital gold and store of value, um, or if there are other narratives that that are associated to that. I think you were talking a little bit uh, before about just the rise in in the in the hodlers and and how that's something that could maybe to some extent be be driving this forward. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And. and um... Thanks for bringing that back up. I think the the hodling narrative um, is super important. The CoinDesk put out an article, Zach Lowell mentioning that Glassnode did some research and over 3 million people now, uh, or 3 million addresses um, have at least 0.1 Bitcoin, which is about $800 at this point. Yep. So, you know, that doesn't mean 3 million different people do. Lots of people have different addresses, but still it's just the... Uh, what the hodling meme helps helps to accomplish is that essentially locks up um, the circulating Bitcoin that's out there. It essentially becomes more of a, a low float kind of stock, right? In the um, financial terms. So um, that's interesting. More and more people just hanging on. And the other piece of it, I think, is the low barrier of entry to access to Bitcoin and these other cryptocurrencies where, you know, with Cash App, um, Swan, Bitcoin, River Financial, lots of these apps, Robinhood even um, has been around for a while. And, and um, mm-hmm. more retail traders can have access to Bitcoin. And not only that, they can set recurring buys, just, hey, take it right out of the paycheck, um, biweekly, monthly. You can really set that up however you want. So I would say because of that, more people are just kind of just doing it you know, buying more Bitcoin, it's kind of mindless. It's becoming more mindless. And that narrative is kind of taking control. And the, the HODL meme is uh, really, I think, helping Bitcoin. Yeah. And I, I do also agree just on, on your kind of thought there as far as the, maybe the improved ways at which people can can buy and hold. Um, I think River Financial and Swan and, and Cash App too. And Coinbase as well. I mean, you've always been able to do recurring buys on Coinbase uh, depending upon like the method that you use, but um, you know, River Financial and Swan, they're basically their primary purpose is is recurring buys and improving their reporting around that. Unfortunately for me, being in New York, I don't have access to anything cool in the crypto world. So, thanks to the Bit License, thank you Ben Lossky. Uh I am 
able to access basically nothing interesting and nothing cool at all. But the stuff that River Financial and Swan are doing, I think is is pretty great. Um, and it allows people to to perform dollar cost averaging in a more efficient and kind of mindless way and have better reporting when doing it. And when you break it down for the most part, and there was some discussion on crypto Twitter the other day about how like 95% of traders would be better dollar cost averaging. And I think that's a hundred percent true. Like yeah, you are so much better off dollar cost averaging than you are trying to time the market up and down for the, for the most part, there are some people that, that buck that trend, but I think greater that that's true. Right. I agree. I'm a dollar cost averager, uh, not a professional trader. And that's, that's definitely the way to go. Love that all these different um, companies are popping up and, and allowing more people to, to have access mm. to those recurring buys. That's huge. Totally. Um, yeah. And, and, and speaking of things that kind of felt like 2017, um, this is, is something that reminded me a lot of 2017. <laughs> um, and this was uh, something that occurred today with the listing of, of UMA, U-M-A, on, on Uniswap. And for those who aren't familiar, and I don't think that that many people are probably familiar, um, I will link below to an article from the guys at Delphi Digital who I think produce some of the best research in the crypto space, by the way. Um, I have a subscription to their like entry-level um, research, essentially, that they do. And these guys are great, and they're also like no BS, and they don't get into like arguments. Or they're, they just provide a bunch of great research. Solid guys, yeah. But uh, they put out this research about UMA in the past few days, and it was kind of interesting because this was essentially an ICO. And for anybody who was around in 2017, ICOs were absolutely nuts. Um, it was just a crazy time, especially if you were early on in the in the token sale game, where if you remember, you would just be, you know, have an ETH address and there would eventually be a smart contract address that would get printed on somebody's website. You would send your ETH there, hope you, you know, won the gas war and that you were able to get your ETH to that smart contract address before all the tokens got sold out. This was an interesting scenario because to 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 give you a little bit of background, so this project called UMA, which is kind of, if you want to to break it down, kind of like a MakerDAO or a Synthetics, uh, where it has real world assets, or you can kind of tie assets to tokens uh, in in a pretty similar way to Synthetics, but they remove the concept of an oracle. Uh, but why it's interesting is they rather than doing a an ICO per se they launched their uh, they launched their token through liquidity on Uniswap so what they did was they took an equal amount of ethereum and they took an equal amount of their token i think it was about $520,000 worth of ethereum and $520,000 worth of their token they put that into a liquidity pool at a specified time and basically set the price at or the initial price, it didn't stay that way for long, but they set the initial price of their token at 26 cents, which was their seed round funding. And anybody could go into that and, and buy that token through the Uniswap pool. And the token immediately went from about 26 cents to $2, which was very reminiscent of the token sale, the ICO craze kind of back in the day where you used to be able to go in, buy it, you know, buy a token, immediately get it and potentially flip it for five, 10 X or whatever it might've been. Uh, just because there was so much demand for it. This was a very similar type of, of situation. And I, 
I'm not going to say it's going to bring back the ICO because I think a lot of people don't have any confidence in ICOs in general and, and tokens in general. But this mechanism was interesting overall. The problem with it is they have 100 million tokens and they only put 2 million in the Uniswap pool. So the actual price discovery for this is is very low and you have to extrapolate pretty heavily to get to a fully diluted supply. But the mechanism for this was cool because there's no KYC. There was no advantage for anybody else. Uh, you just had to be kind of smart and early and try to get that token at as low of a price as, as possible. And yeah, obviously it encouraged speculation. And after the token went back, uh, went from 26 cents to $2. And I think probably ended off at about 225. It's now back down to a little bit above a dollar. So there's certainly a cool down period, but this type of distribution method, I do think could be interesting overall. And I've seen people call it like an, an initial DEX offering an IDO, um, but <laughs> really, letter, really yeah. kind of interesting. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I'm not as familiar with this uh, sort of thing as you are. So like my first thought um, where like, you know, this is sort of like the ICO, like will people fall for this all over again? Cause so many people got burnt in 2017 for mm -hmm. these ICOs and thinking that they're gonna 10 X everything and then just getting dumped on. Right. So yep. it makes me wonder, you know, like, will people actually fall for this again? You know, will they be able to change it to IDO and people be like, Oh yeah, sure. I'll send my eight to this address and, and hope it 10 X's, you know, like what are, what are your thoughts around that? So the way this is structured is, is interesting. And again, I will link to, I'll, I'll link to the research below. I'll also throw it up on the screen too. But the way it's structured is, is interesting because the actual, there are lockups on the tokens themselves. So you have a kind of a, a specified supply and you can, you can, you, you can understand when people are actually going to be liquid with that supply. So you can't get dumped on immediately if you were to buy right now. And because of the amount of uh, liquidity and the way Uniswap works, because of the amount of liquidity that went into the pool, basically, uh, uh, unless everybody, so if everybody sells, uh, the price goes back down to 26 cents if they keep the liquidity in the pool. So they set a floor mm -hmm. of 26 cents, which Uniswap will likely stay the main exchange for this to happen. If you are an IEO, uh, you know, or an ICO, there was never like really liquidity floor. There was never floors on the price. Like you might have ICO'd at a dollar, but if everybody buys your token, they can sell it like way under a dollar because there isn't necessarily that liquidity pool on Uniswap. So it's it's interesting for a number of different reasons. I also think it flips, kind of flips the situation on its head a little bit because rather than spending like the rumor that would go around and, and this is uns I don't want to say completely unsubstantiated, but like, let's say the rumor is right now you want to get listed on Binance. You have to pay whatever, a million bucks or something crazy. You have to pay a lot of money to get listed on an exchange like Binance. Uh, maybe that's not the case, but that's what people would rumor about and bitch and moan about. So let's just say you have to pay a million dollars. That may or may not be true. Um, Rather than pay a million dollars to get listed on on a centralized exchange, you can take that five hundred thousand dollars of your token, that five hundred thousand dollars of Ethereum, throw it into a Uniswap pool, and now anybody can go into that pool and buy and sell without KYC. So theoretically, I think it's actually a better scenario for a lot of those individuals. You don't need market makers to be behind your token or anything like that. Um, 
Hmm. So it is a more, I guess, like quote unquote decentralized type of approach. That doesn't necessarily mean the the token itself is valuable at all. Um, it doesn't mean that there is any utilization potentially for the token, whether it's UMA or anything else, but the actual mechanism for launching the token is a little bit fairer than perhaps what we've seen before, but you still have the the issues around, hey, do you actually need a token for this? Um, does this Is this product even going to be successful? Who knows? But it was a fun kind of unique way to to launch a token. And I think it also can can in the future, and they've started to do this with certain things like Uniswap socks and some other physical th things in the real world, but also like uh, non-fungible NFT tokens. You're starting to see this type of kind of Uniswap pooled automated market maker launch go into effect to set the price of, of different uh, things in the, in the world. That's interesting. Yeah. There's uh, it's uh, a new type of ICO quote unquote. So definitely we'll be interested to see how UMA plays out. Um, and if this draws some more liquidity and, and just overall tension, um, we don't have to get into this, but another thought popped into my head, like during this is, you know, regulation wise, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> you can't, yeah. Who's going to crack down on that? How would they even do that? Who's responsible? I mean, there's just so many questions around that and mm -hmm. who knows? Yeah. Well, so, and, and I'll caveat this with the obvious, obvious thought that I'm not a lawyer and I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, and I think Uma was actually kind of interesting because they did this with before they launched. So apparently Uma's launching next month. Um, Uma's been around for a while. They've had like a beta uh, product on the Rinkeby testnet on Ethereum, but they haven't fully launched yet. So they did this about a month before launch. And I think it could be interesting if they do these types of um, launches when there actually is a product built because then you there there is real clear utilization at least from now for the next month for the most part the only purpose for this uma token now is is going to be speculation which right that's 99.999 of of the the crypto industry as a whole anyway but there's i to my knowledge there's nothing you can do with the token at this moment however that's one thing that'll be I guess perhaps worthwhile to watch is are other companies or other projects going to do anything like this? Um, and are they going to do it closer to when it launches? Cause to me, it would make sense if they were to do this, like say today and they launch tomorrow or something like that, mm -hmm. because there is instant utility to the product. Like people should be using the token for its intended purpose. Now we kind of have a month long period of just pure speculation and in a regulatory sense, speculation i think is not always the the best thing in the world no it, yeah i like that idea too it, it makes it much less sketchy you know if you have mm. 24 hours in between launch uh you know and then and listing the token then a month you know yeah. so that could be interesting moving forward too and and going back to the fact that i am not a lawyer and i <laughs> don't i i this is just my <laughs> this is my personal ramblings on it but uh to that point it's actually not to that point at all but to the favorite subject, uh, pump it, dump it this week. Last week we had an interesting one. So pump it, dump it, hot seat, cool throne. Colton, what are you, what are you pumping up this week? What are you, uh, what are you, what are you thinking about? 
Well, lockstep with the price increase, I think there is, in my circle of people, uh, a lot more interest in Bitcoin uh, you know, from the normies, from the no-coiners out there. Uh, people that you know ever see it in the headlines every once in a while, like, hey, Bitcoin's moving up or down, you know, that sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> just today with the price move, you know, I'm known as just the, the Bitcoin guy in my circle. So, it's, oh, you know, are you? Of, are you? you know, lots of uh, <laughs> it's a small circle. Yeah. Um, lots of texts, uh, you know, like, hey, what's going on with Bitcoin? You know, whatever, whatever. You Rich know, and so um, a lot more interest being generated. It's, you know, price is still very much connected to overall sentiment i think but uh yeah that's definitely pumping yeah for me uh i'm pumping fed stimulus uh there was some some conversations today with the fed uh fed has basically gone out and you know had the green light to just print money into oblivion and part of me is like you know what my 401k and my stock portfolio is now not dead so thank you fed uh <laughs> for just printing a bajillion dollars um, so thanks for that. Uh, on the, on the flip side, I think this could have some negative consequences. So maybe not the best idea to just print all the money in the world until, you know, things happen, but the fed is definitely pumping out stimulus to individuals, to corporations, none of which are me, but they are pumping out money. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's a crazy time in the world of the federal reserve. Yeah, it's nuts. Um, you know, that brings us to the opposite. What is dumping this week? What's dumping? Rob, what do you got? I'm going to go with uh, just like the collective sanity of the world. Um, the longer we stay in lockup, the more agitated people are getting. And people are just going absolutely, whether it's at each other's throats or just their hot takes in general, it's like, we're just locking people in quarantine and there's just this steaming pile of hot takes that are just developing on a continual basis. Um, I mean, even on the subject of just like what's happening right now in general, you have, I've, I felt like this would happen for a while, but you have this now this like bubbling bursting, just it's, it's about, it's like a powder keg. Basically on one hand you have, the people that are like, we need to, you know, end the lockdown right now. Like, this is ridiculous. We need to end the lockdown right now. And then on the flip side, you have the people that are like, no, you're going to kill everybody in the world. And you're an idiot if you don't want to end the lockdown. And really, the truth is probably, as is everything in life, the answer is always somewhere in the middle. Like, you can, you can be sympathetic and empathetic on both sides of the house. I think that the people that want to end the lockdown, you're, you're nuts if you're, if you think that, the economy is is just gonna like somehow be okay by locking everybody indoors, kind of completely gutting off consumption and removing twenty six million jobs out of the equation. Like you're nuts if you think that that is is not gonna be you know that's gonna be just a okay. And then also on the other end of the spectrum, you have the people that are like, hey, you know, we need to continue the lockdown. Certainly, they have their own like there's probably going to be a spike if we just end the lockdown like willy nilly and go about things like nothing ever happened. So there's probably some answer in the middle, but both sides are just getting louder and louder and crazier and crazier. And yeah. the longer this shit continues on, the crazier it's going to get. Right. People are just getting angrier and angrier, you know, like <laughs> the longer people stay. I, I'm just going to drink a beer. So, 
yeah, it's only 245 here, so I guess I'll just stick to water for now. Yeah, but yeah, um, you better. Yeah. Uh, what I'm dumping this week, um, and it's it's totally not crypto related or uh, global macro anything mm. related, but um, weddings. I feel bad for everyone out there that has had a wedding or was supposed to have a wedding in the last R. couple of weeks and also in the coming months. Uh, weddings are dumping and I feel bad because I have like four friends that were supposed to get married this month and next uh, and their weddings were canceled. Could you, canceled I, the bachelor terrible. parties. Yeah. I was supposed to go to Mexico and I was supposed to go to Nashville. Dump it, dump it. Nope. That sucks. <laughs> those, are two, I mean, those are two good places for weddings. I know, yeah. I know. I was looking forward to it, you know. But yeah, I, f- I just feel for everybody out there that yeah. you know, happen to reschedule their wedding to next year. Yikes. No, 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 I'll, I'll pass. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to the point too, so we've uh, you know, travel, remote work, that remote, just anything, remote weddings. If you guys <laughs> don't know, Colton and I are behind Proof Talent. Uh, we run a recruiting firm that works primarily with companies in the blockchain and cryptocurrency world. I'll be working with about 15 different companies right now, uh, mostly in the United States, but every episode we like to finish off with a conversation on the subject of working in the blockchain industry in particular, sometimes some job interview tips and that type of thing. But today, wanted to just touch on remote work in general um, and whether or not it's like a trend that's here to stay or not. I think mm-hmm. obviously if you are in a you know white collar job right now, you likely have the luxury of, of working from home remote work and you probably have a lot of opinions on this. Maybe you maybe you worked from home before, maybe you didn't. But after all this is said and done, what's going to happen with remote work? Colton, what do you think? Oh, man. Yeah, a lot of opinions on this. A lot of hot takes and terrible takes out there. Um, on always remote work always hot takes, terrible. always terrible takes. Yeah, right, you know. Uh, I, of course, you know, fall somewhere in the middle, but I lean toward remote work, definitely sticking around and probably more people going remote in the future for a couple of reasons. I think from the employee side, there's, there's a lot, it, it just seems healthier, right? Like you, you can go about your day. Um, you know, you can, if you're get up early and work, you like to work early in the morning, you can get up a little bit early. You can work, you can take a break, you can go exercise, you can eat, then you can get back. Uh, on the horse and work some more. And then, you know, it just, you have much more flexibility. Um, even, you know, if you want to get to the nitty gritty from a, a diet perspective, I don't know about you, but when I was going into an office, I wasn't, I wasn't packing a lunch every day. I was going around the corner, getting a cheeseburger, getting a burrito. Like, you know, I think from a health perspective, um, and from an employee perspective, it's a little bit more beneficial. Um, plus no commute. And if you live in a place like San Francisco or the Bay Area in general, you can't go 15 miles uh, in under like three hours. So <laughs> no commute is definitely a huge plus um, on that front. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating to think about it from like the the, the like quote unquote business owner perspective because I've mm-hmm. I've watched I guess uh, and I've listened to like a couple different like owners, especially in the recruiting space. I'm sure that's not a place that a lot of people are in, but there are some, some guys that I listen to that have their own businesses and and some are very much in the remote train and some like can't wait to get back to working in the office. And 
you have pluses and minuses, like you said, to both. Like, I think there is something to be said about being in the same office with somebody and like being able to build a relationship with them. Um, mm-hmm. And that it's pretty difficult, if not impossible, to fully replicate that uh, on Zoom or something like that, even though I got a sweet Zoom t-shirt on. Shout out Ryan Burns. Yes, um, <laughs> but there are a lot of like fantastic trade-offs. You don't have to pay rent. You And that can be if you are in a big area, you know, big city, office rent can be a huge expense like there you know you don't have to from an individual perspective you don't have to commute you can kind of set your own hours a little bit you can determine your day a little bit more if you have to go to like the remote work i I feel like is a lot more employee centric in a lot of ways whereas in office work is much more maybe like owner centric or just executive leadership centric where it's like, all right, I can see every single person in the office on a, on a daily basis. I know what they're doing. I know they're being productive. And I think some people just hate to relinquish that control because it definitely is control. Like you can say you better be, your ass better be in your seat at eight 30 in the morning. Otherwise, you know, you do that twice in a row, you're getting fired. Like that's, I've been, I've worked at companies that have been like that in the past. And I've also worked at companies that have been remote mm-hmm. and you know, you do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it, as long as you just get your shit done. So I think that the world is going to, as more employees work remotely, I think more people are going to realize that they, that there are benefits to it and that they're going to like it. I don't think everybody is naturally going to flip remote and everybody's going to be working remotely. But I think it, this is going to accelerate that progression a little bit. Uh, however, there are a lot of people that that don't like simply just don't like working remote. So right, it's very industry specific too. Yeah. Um, and I mean, from a recruiting perspective, you increase your talent pool when you open it up to remote. That's the biggest thing. It's huge in my mind. Huge. You know, I mean, there's so much talent out there. Like, you know, you work in New York City. Your your headquarters in New York City, and there's a ton of talent in New York. Um, but I mean, you're missing out on everyone. Like San Francisco is a huge tech hub. Yep. Um, a lot of software companies out here. If you're in that industry, like you want to, you want to tap into that. Um, mm. so if you open it up to remote and there's a lot of companies popping up that, um, are very uh, kind of help companies, um, transition from no remote to remote and they help them get all the equipment that they need, um, help them with, you know, training their management and their executives on how to manage remotely because i mean there's definitely some trade-offs there like you said i mean from a management perspective uh, remote management would be a lot tougher at least to start yeah yeah and and i think that is to me at least from like a leadership or ownership perspective and and from the the clients that we work with too sometimes you you know you want to just hit your head against the wall because you have a fantastic candidate. Like let's say there's an awesome candidate in Seattle, perfect fit for a job, but doesn't want to move from Seattle to San Francisco. Like that person can do the job, but that company in San Francisco wants somebody that works along with the side of them in San Francisco. And mm-hmm. you, you know, you as a, as a recruiter or just as somebody that works with these companies, you can't tell anybody what to do, but the biggest thing, the biggest advantage I think that you want, or one of the biggest advantages that you do get is you widen up that talent pool to outside of a 30 mile radius or outside of of 15 mile radius, which is really beneficial because there are a lot of people that do enjoy remote work and they are highly capable employees and they might even have lower cost of livings and you can afford, you know, you don't have to pay them as much as you might if they were in that specific city. 
but that type of thing is is a huge bonus to allowing your employees to truly work remotely, especially into the future. And I, I think that you're starting also to see now this like exodus a little bit, or these people talking about this exodus. I could have even talked about this in the, you know, in the, in the pump it or dump it section in the pump it section. A lot of talk now from people about the exodus of, of the cities, moving out of San Francisco, <laughs> moving out of New York city. And that's fine. Like, you know, I think, it's not as fun to live in New York city or it's not as fun to live in San Francisco or as, as fun in a big city when you're confined to 800 square feet or however big your apartment is and you can't go to the bars, the restaurants or all the cool things that you like about being in your city. Obviously that sucks, but maybe take a hike outside of your city, actually stay there for a while, realize there's not that much to do there either. And when it, all is said and done, I, I don't know. It's a lose lose, you know, when you really break it down sometimes, but Overall, on the remote train, I think there will be a massive spike of people just wanting to get back to the office mm. and like be in touch with people. And then it'll slowly taper back to normal. And then I think there will definitely be a gradual increase in remote flexibility from companies across the board in just about every industry. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I definitely agree. Yeah. But uh, outside of remote work, back to Bitcoin, it should be a fun time. I mean, queue up those Bitcoin 9,000 memes. Uh, we got ETH 10. above 200 bucks. Yeah, bring on bring, bring on, on five-digit Bitcoin again. <laughs> um, I mean, we're all in it for the tech. Uh, you know, it has nothing Blockchain. to do with the price. In it for the decentralization, in it for the tech. Insert the <laughs> meme of the dude standing there with the gold chains around him. Um, <laughs> but yeah. uh, Colton and I will be around per usual. And if you guys are interested ever in careers, in the Bitcoin, blockchain, cryptocurrency world. Our details at Proof of Talent are always below, so make sure to hit us up. But thanks so much for the time. Colton, I'll leave it to you for the outro because you always nail it, man. <laughs> thanks, Rob. Thanks, guys, for listening. See you all next week. Cheers, everybody.